0: This podcast is brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA community media organisation, Joy. Keep Joy on air by becoming a member, a subscriber or donate.
1: Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community.
2: Good evening and welcome to Hooked, Joy 94.9's program about addiction. Research shows that the LGBTI community has addiction problems of at least twice that of the general population and we want to explore why and how this has come about. There are many suffering addiction, many more that are affected by those in active addiction and people that are grateful in recovery. My name is David. Hey David, my name's Russ. What
1: are some of the reasons behind this problem? Are there pathways towards recovery and change? How does addiction affect loved ones, family members and partners of those in active addiction? We are not not experts in these fields, but a couple of friends who both happen to be in recovery together. We believe that there needs to be a conversation in our community about
2: addiction. Well, yes, you're right there, Russ. And if you'd like to join us in that conversation, you can SMS us, SMS us. I don't know. Have we got our teeth in tonight? On 0427 Joy 949. That's 0427 569 949. Or email us at onair at joy.org.au or hooked at joy.org.au. We're also on Facebook. You can check out our Facebook page, which is Hooked on Joy 94.9. I'm Hooked on Joy 94.9, aren't you, Russ? I cannot get enough of it. I've been a joyster for five years now. What about yourself? Same here. By the way, just on a serious note, if you're experiencing immediate problems or if content of this program raises issues that cause distress, you can call Lifeline on 13 11 14, Beyond Blue on 1300 22 46 36, or go to joy.org.au slash support, which is a really good resource source, isn't it, rough? Look, it's there to help
1: everybody, and if you need help, all you've got to do is ask, and Joy has got that all on their
2: website, which is exactly where we need it. Yes, that's true. Look, another person you could ask for help if you're ever thinking that you're struggling at all is Dr. Glenn Hosking. Now, Dr. Glenn is a con- clinical psychologist who works with adults, adolescents, children and families. Glenn has over 10 years experience working in psychological clinics, schools, hospitals, and universities, and with a referral from your GP, which we've talked about many times before, uh, a mental health plan. You can uh, claim most of your consultation fees through Medicare. It sounds like an advertorial, but Glenn is a great guy. <laughs> He's a former Joy Liberty. Uh, I still think of him as Joy Liberty because he used to be here on Joy 95. Is that right? Plan. Oh, yeah. No idea. Oh, oh, yes. So we're speaking we to alumni tonight. We certainly are. Wow. And uh, Glenn's uh, quite often as a psychological commentator on all sorts of things, Channel 7, 3 uh, all those sorts of things, those stations that we don't need to listen to because we're too busy listening to Joy 94.9, but he's well known. And welcome tonight to Glenn on Hooked on Joy 94.9. How are you, Glenn? Yeah,
0: good evening. I'm well, thanks. How are you guys?
2: Very well, Glenn. It's good to have you on our show. We're very
1: happy to have you here.
2: In fact, I've been dying to have you on the show for quite some time. It is, well, you know, just getting one of as as Russ described you as an alumite. used to be on Joy ninety four point nine quite a lot. Yeah,
0: I did. I used to. Uh, it's been a few years now, so it's been really nice to be uh, back on back on Joy. It's a delight, actually.
1: Glenn, what did you do on Joy?
0: Uh, I used to do a uh, a drive program for the Royal Dalton with a guy called Michael Dalton. Ah, yes, um, yes. We did, we did that for, um, oh, probably six or seven years, I think. Uh,
2: it felt like about uh, 400 years. Because yeah. you were a fixture, a permanent fixture here. I loved that show. That
1: was a great show.
0: Yeah, it was nice. I, I had a great time. I, I, I loved it
1: completely. Well, we've got you here tonight for other reasons.
2: You you are a a clinical psychologist and, of course, our program is about addiction. And one of the first things I wanted to talk about was, because we have touched on it before with other professionals uh, within your field and other fields as well, uh, one of the first things I wanted to talk about, because it does come down to a few people's problems, is internalised homophobia. Would you like to explain to our listeners about internalised homophobia? Yeah,
0: certainly. I think it's such an important... Thing that, uh, that we all recognize. Um, and, uh, because it has a, a, you know, it has the potential to have a really big impact on, uh, mental health of, uh, of all of us in the GLBTI community. Um, in total, homophobia is, is something that sort of grows out of, um, someone who often doesn't like something about themselves when they're coming to terms with their sexuality. And, um, there's this kind of sense that, that that many of us have that uh, kind of wishes that uh, we weren't who we were, we're who we are. And um, even though many people come to a point where they are much more accepted than who they are or they uh, feel much more comfortable uh, about who they are, um, many do not. And often um, there are still some elements of that that kind of linger around. Uh, for the individual and uh, kind of permeate uh, uh, something or even a large part of that, kind of who they are. And this can have big uh, kind of mental health problems. If you imagine that someone kind of grows up with something about themselves that they don't like, that it can really affect their sense of self, their sense of uh, well-being, you know, their kind of overall regard, kind of as who, as who they are and their sense of, of confidence and adequacy. Uh, and so on and so forth. But it can also, um, impact on how they then engage with the, with, with people outside of the community. That, uh, they might feel that they need to hide who they are or something about who they are. Mm. And I think that sometimes this does impact when people are accessing, um, psychological services. Their, what we're talking about on this program, but also other mental health problems. Well, that's actually where I was thinking of
2: going. Contributing Mm. factor to maybe addictive behaviour, do you think?
0: Well, I mean, certainly uh, I think that there's a big part of it that can manifest as uh, addictive behaviour. Certainly, uh, you know, it it, it does increase uh, the vulnerability for... A range of mental health problems and certainly addictive behaviour would be, uh, in my view, a one of the big ones that it can increase the vulnerability for. I mean, you, you mentioned in your intro that um, the susceptibility to um, addictions is so much more significant for people uh, in the LGBTI community. And I think that, uh, you know, there's, there's certainly a correlation with some of that stuff. Mm.
1: Um Blair, of my limited time, uh, i've I've been in recovery for twelve years now, and and i I've got well my my understanding for uh, myself personally, I only like to talk about my my recovery, is that um, it come it, it has come from trauma and and subsequently um to um get some sort of headspace away from that trauma, I needed to um see a psychologist and and um subsequently became an alcoholic because I um I, I just um, uh, needed some help, and um, the grog took away all the feelings. So there, there, there is a correlation, I think, there with um, internalised homophobia and some sort of childhood trauma. That, that was certainly my experience. Um, do, do you think that that, there's, that, that the correlation with um, trauma or something that's happened to someone in the GLBTI community can be can be looked at that way?
0: I think that one of the things that we do know about addictions is that it's often used as a method to escape. That it's often used as a, an opportunity to numb painful feelings and whether that comes from uh, trauma about dealing with sexuality or trauma or other kinds of trauma. That it certainly, you know, is uh, frequently something of a mechanism that, uh, you know, people bring into uh, in order to be able to, you know, like you say, escape or numb the pain that they're experiencing.
2: So it could be trauma like rejection or maybe discrimination mm-hmm. or, or even uh, just going back to your own self-worth, not being enough because you happen to be LGBTIQ um, or, you know, um, maybe, maybe um, self-esteem and all those sorts of factors. Yes, and
0: and, and also bullying, you know, yeah. as a child or an adoles- as an adolescent. Uh, you know, feeling um, a a sense of maybe not being good enough uh, that they can't live up to expectations that are sent uh, to them by others' family and so on and so forth.
2: And it's certainly at this time during the COVID-19 pandemic, um, are you finding uh, more people are looking for help?
0: This pandemic has produced a real range of risk factors for a lot of people. You know, if we kind of consider that uh, one of the ways in which many people adapt and cope in times of stress is by support from other people and, uh, you know, finding outlets to uh, connect with others. Um, and a situation like this does reduce the ability to be able to do those kind of things, that people aren't able to connect with others, uh, they aren't able to get that kind of support. Um, together with that, there's a, you know, a range of really stressful realities that people are experiencing. Um, there are a range, you know, people are losing their jobs, but people are worried about their future. You know, people don't necessarily know what's going to happen on a, a financial, um, uh, you know, stream of things, you know, and, and also, you know, that to, to an extent, people are worried about their health and worried about what's going to happen there and the health of, uh, of people that are close to them. And all of those kind of things are risk factors for people and will likely, you know, increase, uh, certainly the vulnerability. And, and certainly I'm seeing in, in the work that I'm doing and, and certainly a lot of the research indicating that people are struggling within this, that there's, um, significant, um, increases in levels of anxiety, uh, and levels of depression, uh, and so on and so
2: It sounds like a little bit of a pandemic of problems and challenges for people, certainly, and their mental health. It doesn't matter whether you're LGBTI or Q. I suppose, you know, you could be a mum and a dad at home with kids and all that sort of stuff with work problems, those sorts of problems that you've uh, talked about. Tell us, mental health has been just given a whole lot of funding by our federal government, and it's, it's not about the political situation, although we never thought we'd hear a federal government saying, here, have hundreds of millions of dollars. Is why? Why do you think they've done that?
0: Look, I think that that's an appreciation of the stress and challenges that are facing many people at the moment. That um, there are bu- there's bucket loads of research that situations that force people into lockdown, force people into isolation, are, um, mean that people are more susceptible to mental health problems. There's bucket loads of research that when people experience situational challenges where they're you know, losing their jobs or they're facing financial hardship, that it increases the stress on individuals and that they kind of benefit from mental health difficulties. And so there's been a range of things that have kind of uh, occurred within that. And one of the, the really important ones is that for um, people that are unable to or unwilling to um, see a practitioner face-to-face that... Psychological services are now rebatable through telehealth, so through video sessions. Um, and there were provisions for that in the past for people living in rural and remote areas, but otherwise that was not available for, you know, people, you know, most, you know, uh, you know joy listeners in sort of Melbourne metro areas to have access to doing that. And so practitioners now can rebate sessions through, uh, that are done through uh, video or through telephone, which is a, which is a huge change. And then there, there have been other sorts of, um, areas of funding put into, to research and, uh, and Beyond Blue have a great, uh, online resource where people can access, uh, an online chat with someone and find some referral details to services through that, which is, which is hugely positive and it's a really important, um, uh, um, recognition of the kinds of difficulties that people are likely to uh, be to experience. Some of that's normal. I think that it is important that people appreciate that you know, none of us have ever been through anything like this before, mm. and so we're going to have strange reactions to it. We're going to have increases in our anxiety. We're going to feel a high sense of loneliness uh, as a result of the isolation. A big part of that's normal. Uh, but if it does become something that is significant and debilitating for an individual, then there are these kind of. Services.
1: What 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 are some good pointers for people who just you know go home and think, oh my god, I'll have another bottle of wine, or I'm home for a week by myself, I'll drink ten bottles of wine. Mm.
0: Well, I think one of the big things to uh, be mindful of within this is to to notice whether there has been a significant shift, and if you are noticing a marked change in the, the amount you're drinking, or other substances that you're kind of using and checking in with that kind of stuff. Um, the, the first sort of call within that is to think uh, to a GP um, and to, to to get some advice on uh, services and um, uh, get some advice on, on ways in which you might be able to assist uh, within that. And, um, and, and other kinds of professions that, and professionals that you might be able to um,
1: connect with and might be able to um, be, be able to get the assistance of what? And, why? And from. Sorry, Glenn, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Then, why? Mm. Why does? Um, I guess depression, for example, feeds off loneliness and isolation. Um, I, I I do know of a close personal friend that had a terrible experience at the start of isolation and went into a, a, a deep, deep, deep depression. What What can be done for these people? It's it. It was it was very scary for friends. We all wondered whether we should be calling doctors on on his behalf or mm-hmm. so on. It's it, it can be quite serious for people, can not it?
0: Yes, it really can be, and and you know one of the, the the kind of correlates with depression is that sense of loneliness and that sense of worth. And for a lot of people, uh, they really feed off human interaction and feed off human connection. People find a sense of fulfilment. When they are doing things and when they are connecting with other people. Mm. Now, one of the things that psychologists often do when working with depressed people is find activities that they find enjoyable. You know, in the early stages of, of, of the kind of work, find activities that the individual finds enjoyable and actively sort of schedule some of that stuff in. You know, a lot of the time when people experience depression, they pull back from the sort of stuff that they used to find enjoyable, they stop exercising stop socializing with friends because they feel that it's kind of too hard or they feel that they need to somehow protect themselves or preserve some kind of energy. Whereas, um, in fact, the opposite is true. Uh, in fact, what is, when someone's feeling low and feeling down, actively finding time to put in those kind of activities is uh, a, a way in which we can kind of help. And when you take a situation like this where, Socializing with friends hasn't been possible. For a lot of people, they've not been exercising because gyms are closed. Mm. For a lot of people, other sorts of activities, whether it be going to the theatre or going out for a meal, are not possible and are not happening. And therefore, that kind of sense of fulfillment, uh, is impacted, uh, and is lost. And that, that, that's difficult for people. That really creates, uh, you know, a kind of sense of challenge for people because uh, those sort of things do feed in, uh, into, to low mood. Um, which then can lead to a, you know, a sense of depression, which people might then try to
2: cover up with, uh, substance use. See, that brings me to my next question because I miss all of those things um, but fortunately I've been able to remain connected either through joy or work or other things like that. But what uh, can we look out for with our friends that might be in that similar situation to Russ's friend? Uh, What are the sort of signs that we should be looking out for with our friends if um, you know things are starting to go wrong for them because they may be withdrawing so much that we just cannot find out what's really going on? Look in these kind of situations that
0: it it's important to try and stay as connected with people as possible. And there's a challenge uh, in itself. And thankfully, I guess, um, there are some easing, uh, of the restrictions that, uh, does aid at least some kind of connection. Uh, but certainly, uh, there is, there has been risk factors kind of with that. And one of the things that I've been advocating for is for people to find ways in which they connect with other people through technology or or to, through the means that were kind of acceptable, you know, uh, you know, even someone I don't know was demonstrating some, you know, some really low, you know, was, was feeling really low. And so we were kind of organizing time um, to go for a walk, you know, around our park get together, that kind of stuff, um, to, to try and kind of bring about some sort of, uh, you know, shift or to, to change something or at least, you know, relieve some of that, uh, distress. Uh, even momentarily, um, but certainly try and stay as connected uh, as possible. You know, when, when people find themselves in a situation where they're completely disconnected, as many people have been, it's a big risk factor. So when people are doing things like what Russ was talking about, um, finding a way to connect with them
1: is, is really, really helpful. Glenn, and I'm curious then on that level, what if the fear of um, coming into close contact with people and being outside and the fear of COVID-19 has, has, has got them so debilitated that they won't leave the house, they won't connect with people, um, what do you do? I'm sure there are many listeners who have, who have experienced someone in their lives over the past eight weeks that have, that, that have um, experienced something along these lines.
0: Look, I mean, I think that there's certainly a degree of normality about that, that uh, many people are fearful and, uh, you know, particularly as we see an easing of restrictions and perhaps a much more relaxed attitude to things that uh, kind of just visiting the supermarket is something that can, can be really challenging uh, for people because there are a lot of people around. Uh, but when people are not um, willing to... You know, leave the house or what have you. We've got to try and find other ways to connect with them, to use video calls, to use their phone, to be able to find other ways to kind of connect with them, to demonstrate that sense of worth that they do have, and also that
2: they're not the alone. alone as
0: well. Yeah, that's right. Exactly, that they're that they're certainly not alone. And if you don't, that involves kind of finding another way that you can show them that you care about them, whether it be, you know, dropping off something for them or cooking them a meal or what have you, uh, then, then they're sort of great ways to kind of do that. Um, you know, I, I think that it it is helpful also to kind of validate and normalize people's experience. This is a hard time for many people, a hard time for a lot of people. And that, you know, it doesn't mean that someone Um, abnormal or doesn't mean that someone's irrational if they're struggling at this time. In fact, we would likely expect something kind of like this in a situation that we're all going through.
1: God, that, that, that makes the most sense of anything I've heard um, anyone ever say to me It's a, it, that people would be and it's very
2: normal for them to be feeling just like that during something like this. It does make sense. Now, Dr Glenn, I've got a number of messages already building up here at Joy 94.9 and if you do have a question for Dr Glenn, please send a message to 0427 Join 94.9. Now, the first one comes from Graham and it says, I can't thank you enough for talking about internal homophobia. I've always wondered if gay people's reactions to society's disapproval hatred and religious beliefs also qualifies as internal homophobia so I suppose that's wondering whether we have our own internalized homophobia or also people's reactions to those things uh, qualifies as internal homophobia what do you think
0: I mean I think that we could we could have a big long discussion about the impact of internalized homophobia on the community mm-hmm. you know even more broadly you know I think that um, you know, there, there is evidence, and when I see it in my own circles as well, in terms of attitudes that, that, uh, LGBTI people often have within the community as well. That, and I think that a lot of that is explained through the same lens of, uh, internalized homophobia. And then I do think that, uh, Graham has a fair point there, that perhaps some of that does then manifest in, um you know, a, a, a kind of a lowered
2: tolerance of of, of other groups. It's funny because I think we could do a whole series of programs on this topic. Uh, there's also a message here from South Yara. I'd like to ask Glenn has he ever experienced depression and how does he deal with it? Many health professionals are very busy and can also become sick as well.
0: Um, look, personally, you know, probably not as being a, a health professional as I've experienced depression. I think that a big part of my training has certainly been uh, recognizing this and, uh, finding ways to, um, manage, um, you know, as, you know the kind of workload and the, the kind of heaviness from it. But I would certainly say that as a, you know, as a young adult, as a teenager kind of dealing with, um, my own sexuality and, um, the struggles there, that there were certainly some very dark times that I experienced.
2: Um, absolutely. Uh, the last message is, why does it take a pandemic for the federal government to be interested in mental health? That's, uh, with a comment of pretty pathetic. So I don't know. I think that explains itself, but I, I never thought I would hear an LNP government saying we're giving out hundreds of millions. But then I've had other people I've talked to and they've said the pandemic, unfortunately, we've, we've heard today that there's been a hundred Lives tragically lost through through this pandemic which is a very low tally but still it affects so many other people as well but they're saying that the real panic pandemic will actually be in mental health in the years to come as well
0: well i think there is certainly that view that there's um you know another curve that needs to be flattened and i have heard the government saying that as well that uh, you know all of the risks and one of the early things that the government did say was that they, they're um, Uh, resources that indicated that, um, just things like the searches for domestic violence resources had gone up and more people were searching for, um, you know, 1-800 Respects, for example, or other domestic violence support services had increased, um, significantly over the course of this kind of period of time, which, you know, does indicate that Mm there's that real vulnerability.
2: On Joy. Ah, yes you are, listening to Hooked on Joy 94.9 with David and Russ, Joy 94.9's program about addiction. If you're experiencing immediate problems or if content of this program raises issues that cause distress, you can call Lifeline on 13 11 14 or Beyond Blue on 1300 22 46 36 or go to joy.org.au slash support. Now, we've got Dr. Glenn here answering questions and I've got some questions about sex. Uh, Yeah, look, uh, I'm just thinking at the moment I know a number of people that are um, uh, you know, certainly single or maybe uh, just more active in a sexual sense and during the pandemic we've been told not to have sex with um, strangers in the night. What can I make of this?
0: Well, I I think that it's really important to appreciate this as one of the risk factors for the LGBTI community, or maybe I would just say the male um, community in that in that kind of context. But a big part about um, for for a lot of people is um, is sex, and is uh, connecting with uh, with people through the use of, of various apps or attending sort of, or sometimes business venues. And uh, that isn't the case at the moment. People are unable to do that. And uh, that, that that's a challenge for some people, people are going to find that difficult to be able to um, adapt to that and adjust to that and that's okay. Um, I think that uh, for people that might be listening that have sort of struggled within this um, uh, and maybe thought that they shouldn't be struggling to deal with uh, this sudden um, shift in their day to day routine or the sorts of things that they found enjoyable or... Out of um, uh, to be suddenly changed is is
1: okay. So, if you're addicted to chemsex, sex, for example, and you know that um, there's every possibility um, that you may get get COVID nineteen, how do you control something like that? Um, if you're addicted to chem sex particularly. Yes. So, for example, um, you know, I'm sure that all of us are aware that. Well, um, my understanding, and correct me if I'm wrong, Glenn, is the um, that you you can pick up COVID nineteen through saliva and and touch and so on and so forth. Um, so, isn't isn't um, sex? Um, chem sex, I guess, um, I, I would uh, um, imagine. I, I have never been addicted to chem sex, but isn't that a way of uh, a high-risk behaviour or any type of sex be a high-risk behaviour if you don't know your partner well enough? I know well, this I is going to bring addicted. up all sorts of stories about HIV and AIDS pandemic, but what is what is the right thing to do during this period?
0: Yeah, look, I mean, I I, I don't know in terms of the kind of weight um, of uh, infection, all this kind of stuff through through sex, but I guess we do know that, um, uh, you know, contact of that kind of nature is something that is being discouraged, that it's not on the list of uh, five things that you're allowed to do, as uh,
2: mentioned by the government. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I don't know. We're waiting for the date that they put that on. But, um, yeah, I suppose...
0: Yeah, that's right. It might be interesting. But, you know, I guess, it, you know, one of the kind of things that if people are living by those kind of rules, that they might find that difficult and that it might be a real struggle for people uh, who have found that as a regular kind of part of their, uh, their, their sort of, you know,
1: week to week. So, it, it, in other words, I, I, I look. I know I can can speak to speak for friends. They've they've found this whole thing very difficult. So there's
2: what a disconnection uh, because that's possibly how people connect, not just sexually, but just the yes. fact that they're connecting with other people. With our community. Way, Correct. And suddenly, yeah. that's gone. What do you think about not watching the news and things like that?
0: But I, I do think that that's a really important point. That in this current situation, where we are flooded with news, where we have so much opportunity. You know, there are 24-hour news channels. There are, there's more news than ever before. Um, and, you know, we we have regular kind of updates online. I mean, I don't know about you, but, you know, I subscribe to a couple on my phone and I'm regularly getting kind of updates around, you know, kind of what's going on, restrictions, toll numbers of infections, toll numbers of fatalities, all of this kind of stuff. And I think it
2: can be difficult. It and so I think it is useful. Addictive behaviour, doesn't it? Because I've got to know. I've got to know and oh look, you know, things aren't going that well. I know. I'll just quickly check the news. Oh, things are really bad in the United States. Well thank God it isn't like that. You know, it almost becomes a little yeah. bit of a, an addictive habit in a way.
0: Yeah, it can be a real perverse kind of um, interest that uh, kind of around it. And I would encourage people if they are finding that distressing and they're finding that difficult to limit it. Yeah. They don't have to eliminate it, um, but you can certainly limit it and, uh, you know, kind of put some parameters kind of around it. Um, I think, that you know, a lot of people are also working from home, which might also add to those kind of challenges where there might be a lot more kind of freedom about how you're kind of doing things and there might be a lot more sort of freedom about how, kind of, you know, how often you check stuff out and so that can also increase some of the, the mm-hmm. risk factors that people have for, you know, news overload.
2: I've actually got a little bit of a comment on uh, working from home. Firstly, there's a message that says there's been an increase in sales for sex toys. So that's fantastic. Uh but it says also I see many positives. Yeah, <laughs> I see many positives during this whole period. I think the modern world was crazy before, and this new normal has many positive aspects. I'm thoroughly enjoying working from home and rediscovered myself. And in fact, uh last Wednesday when I was doing Melbourne's Most Uplifting Music Mix, I asked people what were the good things that they had discovered during this uh, lockdown period? And I think there has been some amazing things. And I think maybe if we focus on some of the really good things, you know, somebody said, oh, I don't have to travel to and from work each day. I'm saving 10 hours a week. But some of the good things uh, can be focused on, I think. I think there
0: are a lot of good things that do come out of, out of that and out of working from home. And that, you know, often, um, uh, you know, partners are finding out a lot more about each other's work and about how each other work with it, you know, within their their businesses, or just seeing a different kind of side of each other uh, as a result of, um, of 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 working from home, of, of kind of connecting with people, you know, for people that have children and are needing to homeschool, of course, that's challenging for people, but there's also uh, a connection that can kind of come sort of from that and. Uh, you know, I, I, there's, there's certainly there are risks in that, but it's certainly not without its reward.
2: Yeah, look, it's been fantastic talking to you tonight, uh, Doctor. <laughs> <laughs> what am I doing, Dr. Glenn? Um, it's been so good to have you on the show. As I said, we really look forward to having you on the show, and, uh, maybe we'll see if we can get you back soon. Um, and as things change, of course, um, you can always check our podcast because we'll have a link. But, you know, if you just do a search on Dr. Glenn Hosking, you can always find out how to contact, uh, him. And, you know, as a, an out and proud LGBTIQ uh, psychologist. Uh, You're know, somebody that we can come to and feel comfortable. Um, sorry, Russ has one more question. Glenn, I do have one more question
1: for um, you and I think it's important. Yeah, it's, I just know that during times uh, like this, um, tough times for our GLBTI community and everybody, for example, I've heard people say that you should get out there and support your community to make yourself feel better. How can people do that in our GLBTI community?
0: Well, it's a big challenge, isn't it? Because a lot of the community, um, uh, you know, is closed. So, you know, if we sort of think about sort of the, the kind of main elements of the, the community that they um, that, that, uh, you know, their news are closed. And so there are challenges kind of within that. But, you know, I think that there are, you know, many great community organizations, uh, many, you know, like Joy and like, like other sorts of organizations, uh, that, that uh, do need support, and you know, if we sort of think, I mean, I, I had a whole lot of um, queer film festival um, films that I so was seeing. That, so that, did that, that didn't end up running, and yeah. that was disappointing, but, um, and, and so it is, you know, it's more important, I think, in those kind of instances, and I, you know, I, I listen to Joy all the time, I'm a member of Joy, and uh, I was so... Excited to hear around the radiothon, and you know, I I did radiothon for for ten years in Jerry and uh while I was at Joy, and I you know I know the kind of buzz that it sort of brings. Um, but it was so good in this kind of time where a lot of people are struggling um, financially that they found that opportunity to support their community. I um, know and, and it's a big challenge for people because they don't have the opportunity to connect with their community at this time. That's, that's really difficult and that certainly does add to some of that susceptibility that we were talking about before.
2: Just um more more questions at the end here. Um, I've, I've got another message that's from Paul from Mooney Ponds, who says, as a mental health professional of 15 years plus, I encourage us to look for the many silver linings we are experiencing. Uh, thank you so much for that message, Paul. And I think that's definitely something we should be doing at the moment. Uh, there's another message that says we should discuss misogyny that sometimes is a result of internalised homophobia on the next show, especially amongst some gay men I know. And... Yeah the last message hi there i'm loving the show listening to you with a wine. Thank you, Tristan, for listening in as well. As I said, it's been great having you on the show and we will get you back as soon as possible. Um, please, uh, you know, do a search on Greg Hosking if you are looking for some support. Uh, mental health plans are readily available, certainly at this time. And, of course, teleconferencing and all sorts of other things are there to help you if you need a mental health plan or if you are struggling at the moment. Thank you once again, Glenn, for being back here on Joy 94.9. It was lovely, exactly. thanks. Bye. Now, look, one thing I wanted to bring up with you, I wanted to bring it up with you last Tuesday night, but mm. unfortunately the report was embargoed until 12.01am on Wednesday morning. I'm di- I was dying, dying to bring this to you. <laughs> but uh, it's about, uh, and it's a report from FARE, which is the Foundation for Alcohol Research and Education. Now, I don't think you were at the program that we had back in April. No. But we had um, the CEO, Katrina Georgie and she was on the program talking about the alcohol industry and their response to the COVID-19. Uh, pandemic and one of the, th- some of the things that they've found out, uh, and this is research done with them and the Cancer Council of WA and SITC, which is sober in the country, is that there is an alcohol ad every 35 seconds during COVID-19. Now I haven't seen that on TV. I haven't seen that on anywhere else, mm. but it's mainly on social media. So alcohol companies are doing their best to take advantage of the time uh, of the pandemic. Now, it says here that over 100 alcohol ads in one hour demonstrates the relentlessness of digital alcohol marketing during the COVID-19 restrictions. So this is basically through platforms like Instagram and Facebook. Now, I haven't noticed it because maybe my algorithm isn't that way and yours also, Russ. We said we uh, talked about that before about the show, beforehand. didn't we? Yes. But uh, some people are getting absolutely bombarded. Uh, uh, it was just saying in just one hour on a Friday night, 107 sponsored alcohol advertising were displayed on a person's Facebook and Instagram accounts, which creates through approximately one alcohol advertisement every 35 seconds. Um, And the sample of the alcohol advertisements that are analysed in this report said that 58% of them were saying, uh, get easy access to alcohol without leaving your home. that was basically, you know, just saying you can get it delivered, get it delivered, get it delivered. Mm. Uh, save money were 55% of those ads. Uh, 35% of them were suggesting that you buy more. 24% were suggesting that you drink alcohol during the COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, 16% were saying use alcohol to cope, survive or feel better. And 14% were saying to choose healthier alcohol products, maybe like low-carb beers and things like that. Um, it's just sort of demonstrating the relentless of digital alcohol marketing and with phrases like wine from home, stay in, drink up and confinement sale, it's evident that the alcohol industry is using a global health crisis to its advantage.
1: What do you think about that? Look, you know, I wouldn't be at all surprised if at some stage in the future that um, the connection between Depression, trauma, all of the things that um, we've been taught by our um, good doctors and psychologists friends that the um alcohol industry isn't made to pay for these things. Oh, I mean, you know, we've had we've had Royal Commissions about so many things over the past few years, Royal Commissions over banking, Royal Commission over this and over that. Eventually, because the uh, these drug companies are targeting people and a lot of them shouldn't be targeted. And Well I and, think it's
2: shameless targeting. Oh it,
1: absolutely. It? Absolutely. So I would I would say that um, sooner rather than later we'll see we'll see something pass through um can barrel par parliament where the um where they won't be allowed to do it anymore well hopefully you'll be the one that instigates
2: that well, i'd love to uh, because at the moment they're not spending any money on sports advertising i believe that they'll come back as the savior of the sports industry and say you know what we're here we're going to make sure that sports survive. So mm-hmm. I've got a feeling that's the sort of plan that they look well, at. But you, you know what? what?
1: I find advertising really annoying on my social media. I just... Do you look at it? I never do.
2: Uh, well, I suppose it's all always subliminally there, but mm-hmm. uh, hopefully not too much. Unless you're listening to ads on Joy 94.0. Well. <laughs> of course. Well, our ads are good, though. I know. Look, we hope that you've enjoyed tonight's show and remind you that if the, you're experiencing immediate problems or if content of this program raises issues that cause distress, stress, you can call Lifeline on 13 14, 13 11, 14 or Beyond Blue on 22, 46, 36, or go to joy.org.au slash support. Now David, it is very important and I reiterate very
1: important to move away from self-destructive reasoning. Recovery involves breaking the cycle of addiction, removing the trigger of negative thinking and restoring us all to emotional sobriety. One of the greatest highs in life is feeling good about ourselves. Always remember that none of us are alone in this world and the very first step in recovery is to always just
2: ask for help that's right we want our community to be one of hope and look forward to your company next week as we continue to explore addiction on hooked meanwhile it's goodbye from russ goodbye and it's goodbye from me david goodbye
1: thanks for listening to a joycast from joy 94.9